Welcome to Socialette, your go-to source for bite-sized lessons in launching and online marketing. I'm your host, Steph Taylor, and I'm a corporate dropout turned launch strategist, helping you launch your digital products simply and successfully so you can reach more people, grow your audience, and become the go-to brand in your space. Want to swipe my signature launch framework? Download my free ebook, The Complete Roadmap for a Killer Launch at stephtaylor.co forward slash roadmap. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of my latest episodes released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Hey, welcome to Socialette. This is episode 256. In today's episode, I'm chatting with a lawyer. Now, <laughs> before you exit out of this episode and decide that you that it's going to be too boring for you, let me just say, Bobby Clink, today's guest, he's not just a regular lawyer, he's a cool lawyer, right? We, he's niched down into legals for online business owners. So we're chatting all about the legal essentials and the mistakes and all of the things that you need to know about the legals of launching a course or a membership because, you know, selling stuff on the internet can go wrong. And I love that Bobby talks about how a lot of the times people come to him once things have actually gone wrong. This episode, we're talking about how you can prevent things from going wrong. Now, Bobby is a US-based lawyer, but much of what he's talking about today is relevant for my Australian listeners as well, because I know I know the majority of you, like just over 50% of you are based in Australia, and I think about 30 or 40% of you are in the US, and then the rest is like other random countries. But I guess really the biggest takeaway that everyone can take from this episode, regardless of what country you're in, what legal system you've got, like whatever... I think the biggest takeaway you can take is that you need to have all your legal bases covered before you launch, okay? And Bobby is going to talk a little bit more about that in this episode. So without any further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Bobby Clink. Hey, Bobby, welcome to Socialette. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here because I... I don't know, like I first came across you in, I think it was the old Courses That Convert Facebook group back in the day when that was one of Amy's courses, Amy Porterfield's courses. And I remember thinking, who is this Bobby guy? Like he knows a lot about legal stuff. Um, who is this guy? So for my listeners who have no idea who you are, what you do, Bobby, I'd love it if you could tell us who are you and what do you do? That's a broad question, but I'll try to answer it. Um, you know, so what I like to say is I, I'm a reformed lawyer. Um, I, I, I practiced law for a long time. I practiced for, um, about a little over 15 years. Um, wow, I yeah. was, I was doing the, the traditional law, uh, law firm route, doing all of that. And one of the things I kept seeing and that drove me nuts was, I would see people come to me after things had hit the fan. And there really wasn't much I could do at that point. I I would tell them, well, there's not much I can do. And so that drove me nuts. And it was normally a a money thing. That was why they didn't come to me or come to anyone at the beginning. And because, look, lawyers, we're expensive. We we charge a lot of money. We value our time. And um, what we sell for a course creator or an online entrepreneur is not exactly sexy or fun. It's kind (laughs) of, you know, it's one of the last things that people want to deal with. I mean, let's be honest, if you could either take a course on growing your email list or launching a course or the legal stuff, which one are you going to do? 
I mean, we all, we, obviously we not the legal stuff. Right. Right. That's, <laughs> that's like the last thing people want to do. Um, and so I, I kept seeing this problem. Um, and, and about the same time I was, I don't know, call it a midlife crisis. I don't know what it was, but I was not really <laughs> happy in my life. And so I was working through that. And a, lo- a life coach I was working with basically said, um, said to me that they would, you know, that they could see me going on to podcasts, going on to radio shows and talking about the legal stuff. And that started me down this route. Now, I'd been using kind of online marketing stuff before to try to build a law firm practice. But so then I went all in. And so since about the fall of 2017, I now say I'm an online entrepreneur whose area of expertise is the law rather than a lawyer who is, um, you know, dabbling in the legal stuff. So I've been helping yeah. people figure it out since then. And one of my big learnings was I don't charge for training because nobody wants to pay for that. Um, <laughs> I give all that <laughs> stuff away for free. And what I charge for are legal templates. And, and that was how I got my start. Now I also have the business side stuff that I, I kind of offer to people as well. And I've kind of become known for my emails and my wacky stories that I tell yeah. in my weekly emails. So that's me in a nutshell. So do you still do like one-on-one consulting or is it purely the templates? So on the legal side, it is purely the templates. Um, right. And partly that's because here in the States, we have um, – so we have we have a different bar uh, authority, so a different basically authorizing authority in each state. And each one of them has a different view about what's considered practicing law. So although I'm sitting here in Washington, D.C., if I'm advising someone in Wisconsin, and I'm just picking that as an example, yeah. Wisconsin might consider that me practicing law in Wisconsin. And so trying to navigate right. all of that is just – it's a nightmare. And so I didn't want to do that. Plus, candidly, I'm too expensive. Um, mm-hmm. I would be charging a thousand dollars an hour at this point for my time. Yeah. And I'd rather just sell you all my templates for about that same price. And, and then you can <laughs> kind of, you know, do it yourself. And, you know, when you get to the point that you're really, you know, really at the next level, that's when you find a lawyer who, who wants to keep doing that and wants to keep, you know, kind of working one-on-one with people. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think, I think it's similar here where there's a different, um, I don't know if it's a legal, association or legal body or whatever it is in each state here as well. Um, But that's so interesting. Okay. So Bobby, I'd love to know before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I'd love to know what mistakes have you made so far in your business journey? (laughs) How much time do we have? (laughs) I mean, I I could talk through so many of them. Um, Okay. So, (laughs) I, I mean, I would say that the biggest mistake I made when I was starting in the online space was I was um, I was not humble enough. And by that, I meant mm. that I said, well, I know what my customers need. I don't need to talk to them to figure it out. I don't need to do that. So I created oh. a – oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're laughing. I did that one too. <laughs> so I, I created a course. And me being me, I am a fire, ready, aim kind of guy. I went all in. And I spent something somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars. I think it was right around twenty five thousand dollars. Once you add it all yeah. up, to launch this first course, uh, I made one sale, and Ooh. she asked for a refund on day twenty nine of a thirty day oh. no questions asked refund policy. <laughs> and so, oh. yeah, yeah, th- that was my 
that was my introduction. And it was all because I was like, I know what they need. And first of all, I don't care what people need now. I'm like, what do they want? And you got to sell them what they want and then deliver what they need. So that was one of the learnings. And, and you know, start actually listening to people is another <laughs> one of the big things. But, you know, I, I would say that really is the biggest mistake. I mean, I make mistakes all the time. And I tell people that you should. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, realistically, we're going to fail a lot more than we're going to succeed. And I kind of yeah. I, I made this point when I was. Um, I was on a panel at, at James Wedmore's um, BBD Live last year with some of the other people mm. from his mastermind. And one of the things I said is I said, the reason we're up here in the mastermind and have had the success we have isn't because we're geniuses. We're, we maybe have some good ideas. It's just that we take a lot of shots. And yeah. in a given year, I would say that 75% of the things I do don't work out. And I think everybody should be that way. So That's cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that attitude. I feel like so much of what I've learned in business hasn't been from the courses I've taken or the podcasts I've listened to or the books that I've read. But like you said, it's from actually getting out there, taking that action and then failing and learning and then hopefully not making the same mistake again. Yeah. Well, right. And, and, and the more important thing is that if you are, and this is like, this was never my problem, but a lot of people, mm. a lot of entrepreneurs biggest mistake is they don't act. They think they yeah. need to wait until things are perfect. They think they need to, you know, get every last detail ironed out before they act. And that's a mistake. And, and this is one where it was kind of good because the kind of law I used to do was was patent law. So I did a lot of reading about how tech companies worked. And tech companies yeah. operate under this concept known as the MVP, the minimally viable product. Basically, you, you come up with what is the minimum that you have to come up with with software to put it out there. You put it out there, you see what the market says, and then either you say, okay, there's some potential here and you iterate and improve, or you say, nope, not going to work at all. And you just quit and start something new. And that attitude is something that I think people in our space could really learn from and could really use because it would actually get you in action instead of sitting around trying to perfect your sales page, which by the way, is never going to be perfect. <laughs> Try to perfect your course, never. Which, by the way, is never going to be perfect. Uh, and so instead, just do it and make it better. Exactly. I, I like to call it throwing spaghetti against the wall and yep. seeing if it sticks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so segueing beautifully from talking about mistakes, where do you see business owners making big mistakes when it comes to the legal stuff in their business? Yeah. And here there are a few different ones. And I will talk first about the most common mistake that I see. And it, it comes in different varieties, but I refer to it as the right click save as problem. <gasps> this is I where I know where you're going. <laughs> this is where you're, you're going through the internet and you see this picture that you really like or a, 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 an Instagram like post, a frame that you really like yeah. or something. And so you, you get on your mouse, you right click, you save as. And then you use that somewhere else. You can't do that. That is a violation of copyright law in every country in the world. And it is the thing that is going to get you in trouble no matter where you are. And it happens. It used to be like when I first started going on to podcasts, every single host wanted to tell me their Getty image letter story because mm. it all had it. They'd all done this with an image from Getty Images, which if listeners, if you don't know Getty, they're one of the big image licensing companies. 
and they charge a lot for their images. So if you use one of the theirs, you're going to get a letter from them that essentially says this. Well, thank you very much for using our image. The licensing fee for that is $5,000. Please send us a check. And this is one of those cases where, you know, people would come to me after the fact and say, well, well, what can I do about this? And I said, pay them the money. I mean, you know, you you violated their copyright and people do it over and over and over again. Um, And it was funny. I was, I was having a discussion recently in, in one of my Facebook groups about this because there had been a, um, a, a situation where, um, some company, I don't remember who they are, had used, and they kept calling it a, a meme. It was not a meme. Yeah. It was a picture that they liked that they had seen. It was like this, evidently it was something that blew up. It was a picture of like levels, like levels that you use, um, like to level, like in construction. And like there was yeah. tape on it and the words wrong were written on it constantly on each one. And evidently it was this famous thing that people were saying, you are wrong on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of funny. That's clever. Yeah, but they had seen it somewhere, had copied the image, and then used it for a Facebook post. And so they are currently getting sued by the person who took that picture oh. and posted it originally. Because oh. it is. And this whole discussion came up. And I said, well, that's a clear no-no. You can't do that. And so it happens over and over again. And And just the rule of thumb here is, you can't grab a picture that you like online. You've got to get a licensed image from the right place. There are plenty of free resources. I use Unsplash and Pexels and Pixabay, and there's a bunch more. Or you use a paid site, but you've got to get images the right way. Same thing with music. You go to like Audio Jungle or something like that rather than just grabbing a song that you like. So that is the biggest mistake that people make. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's the easiest to avoid. Yeah, and I think we've all heard of people getting into trouble for for doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it's funny, like people then, w- what tends to happen is people get defensive and feel like then the person who is, who's, you know, who has the copyright is somehow in the wrong for doing it and mm. for coming after them or because they didn't register it or because of some reason they think that what they're doing is wrong. And the reality is it's not. I mean, if you take someone's image off the internet or anywhere else and use it somewhere else, it's actually you are the one doing wrong. You are stealing their property by using it. And people don't like hearing that, but it's the reality. So um, that's kind of the the first one. Now, the next big mistake people make is um, not getting agreements in writing. This is kind Mm. of the the, the second (laughs) one that we've all done um, and we need to stop doing. Because this is a bit embarrassing because I noticed on your website that you have a podcast guest release agreement <laughs> and that is, yeah, no, I've never even thought of having that. <laughs> well, the good news is like, I, I say you should have that when that one is like the least. Uh, so that one's kind of the least <laughs> bad because okay, good. <laughs> the reason why is that it, it, so a podcast guest release, a testimonial release, those fall under an area of law known as the right to publicity. Now, I don't know right. what it is and how it would come about like in Australia and, and England, but here in the United States, it is state law. So there's like 50 different states and we uh-huh. all have different law about it. Sometimes it has to be in writing. Sometimes it doesn't. And it can be very confusing, but I just say it's a best practice. And more importantly, Here's why it's not that big of a deal, Steph. Realistically, 
I came onto the podcast to be on the podcast. So I'm not going to complain <laughs> if you post the podcast. Now, it'll sometimes come up where people do it and like, and I've had people come to me who are podcast hosts and say after the fact that, that the guest said, well, I didn't like that. Please don't publish it. And oh. so they're in a bind. But again, to me, that's not even a legal thing. Like if one of my guests on one of my podcasts came and said, look, I really don't want you to publish it. I just wouldn't publish it because it's yeah. not worth destroying the relationship. No, so, exactly. so it's not going to be an issue. And it's the same thing with testimonials. You should get a written permission to use any testimonial you use. But let's be honest. The chance that one of your like raving fans is going to get mad at you for using a testimonial, pretty darn low. So, yeah. and again, even if they like, even if I had one of those releases and someone came and said, Hey, I'd rather you don't use that anymore. I would stop using yeah. it. So that's not the big one. The big one is, is I say, put it in a big group called customer agreement. So if you're a service provider, every time you engage with someone, you should have a client agreement with that customer. If you have an online course, you need an online course agreement that, you know, sets out what are the terms and conditions? What are they going to get? What are, what are they going to pay? What are all the details of the core agreement between you and your, your students in a membership agreement? Same thing. If you have a membership site, you need to have a membership agreement. It's so it's kind of just those kinds of, you know, common sense, especially if money is changing hands, get it in writing. And then the other side of that is anytime you hire someone, whether it's a contractor or an employee, you should have a written agreement kind of laying out the basics of the agreement there too. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. So that definitely it, makes sense. Yeah. And those are the, 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 like candidly that and, and the image issue are the biggest mistakes. Those are the two that, you know, are above all the others. The other thing I would say that people need to understand is we just need to have basic understanding of an area of the law called um, intellectual property, which is a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of that, that right to publicity is under it. We already talked about copyright law with images. That's under that as well. The other big area is with uh, trademarks. And this is something yeah. that's happening more and more and more. So, if a copyright copyrights are about your content, so anything you put out, images, words, videos, all that's copyrighted. Anything related to branding, so your name, your logo, your slogan, all that stuff is protected by trademark law. And too many people are and the big thing here is is to be defensive, I would say, more than offensive. And, right. and what I mean by that is make sure that you have searched to make sure that no one else already has rights to yeah. use that name because the problem yes. is if you don't, and <laughs> if there's someone else who does, guess what? They're not going to find out about you when you first start. They're going to find out about you after you've put in six months, a year, however long it is of time, of blood, of sweat, of tears, of all of that building your business. You're going to start to get traction. You're going to start to get on people's like radar screens. And then that's when they're going to come knocking on the door and say, hey, you can't use that name. And at that point, you're not going to have much choice but to rebrand. And if it was a course, change all of the branding of your course. If it's your brand name, change all the branding of your brand name. If it's your podcast, change all of the branding related to your podcast. All of those things are a problem. And it's just if you do a little bit of work up front to make sure no one else has, you know, secured legal protection for the name or is even using the name, 
And if you do that work, you're in good shape. So where can somebody start? Is it just a matter of doing a Google search or do they need to dive a little bit deeper? So on that piece, there's a couple of parts. One is do a Google search. And if things come up, it's a problem. And and what I like to tell people (laughs) is it's, it's not just if the exact name comes up. If anything close comes up and they're doing anything similar to what you're going to be doing, you know, you could go to a lawyer and get an opinion about whether they could challenge you or not. But here's the reality. You're going to go to that lawyer and the lawyer is going to write you this letter that's going to say yes or no. And even if they say no, they can't challenge you. The lawyer is going to put about a whole page in there that says, look, this is just my best guess and I make no, no guarantees and I can't tell you what they're going to do. So they might come after you no matter what. So it's kind of a, okay, I just paid thousands of dollars to get a lawyer's (laughs) opinion that is worth nothing. Or you just come up with a new name and we can all do that. And you mentioned Amy Porterfield and I think she's a perfect example. Her course, her signature course now is called Digital Course Academy. Sitting here now, and we were both affiliates for it. um, You know, I can't even imagine it having a different name. But digital course was not what she used to call it. She used to call it online course. And originally she's told this story many times. She was going to call it the online course academy, but someone was already using that name. And so, you know, she changed it to digital course academy. And again, sitting here now, do we think that somehow she lost any sales by changing it to digital course academy? No, no way. Right. And so (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like, she just said, Hey, I'm going to be smart here and I'm going to, you know, avoid a dispute. And if Amy Porterfield has to do it with her business, if you are starting out, it's even more important because you just need to avoid a dispute at all. Because yeah. if they come after you, it doesn't matter if you could win or not. Do you have $50,000, a $100,000 or more to fight them? And even if you have it, wouldn't you be better off using that money on, I don't know, Facebook ads or, or something other than paying a lawyer sure. to fight about something that, that you really could have just avoided by changing the name at the beginning? And so, so Google it, but then also like here in the States, you, you would go to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO.gov, and then you, you can go to the trademark section and you can search through all registered trademarks. And you just do yeah. a broad search and find out what the situation is. I don't know what the Australian I, is, but you have an office I think there. It's, yeah, I think it's called IP Australia or something yeah. like that. Yeah. There's a government body for it. Yeah. yeah. And you just – you go there and find out what are the registered trademarks. Um, are there any? And again, I tell people, be broad. Make sure that you're searching anything related. Don't just search the exact name. And if anything comes up – you could go to a lawyer or my suggestion would be probably just come up with a, a, a more specific name, a different name, something that's going to avoid dispute. And, and one of, and um, since we're talking mainly to entrepreneurs, I'll tell you this. If you try to file a trademark for anything with the word entrepreneur in it these days, <laughs> entrepreneur magazine is going to come after you. And oh, it's, st- it stinks. <laughs> a lot of people are mad about it. A lot of people, you know, when, when people post things about it happening to them, people are like, oh, you should stand up and fight and you should do this. And and I'm like, do you really want to do that? Probably not. So probably just don't use the word entrepreneur. Come up with a different one. And, and I know it, it, it that stinks. But I would tell you that 
your time is better spent doing a lot of other things instead of worrying about it and spending one iota of energy worrying about whether Entrepreneur Magazine is going to come after you. Exactly. You've got to pick your battles, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, okay. So I know just changing tack a little bit here, but I know a, one question or one place that people get really worried is when they're writing the promise of their course or yep. their membership. So, you know, like in this program, you'll go from procrastinating all day to ticking 150 tasks off your to-do list every day. <laughs> and the person creating that might worry that, oh, like not all of my students are going to go, are going to start ticking 150 tasks off every day and maybe I'll get in trouble for that. So how does that all play out from a legal standpoint? Yeah, and again, part of that is – and so this is an area that, that here in the States, it's governed by the Federal Trade Commission. We have a, the, a government body which has regulations about these things. And you have to be careful about making any kind of promise that could be construed as um, misleading. Now, separately, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you this is a place where honestly – it's not even the in our space. It's not even the legal stuff that is the biggest concern. It's Facebook. Candidly, if you are going to want to advertise <laughs> on Facebook, you're going to have to be very careful about making any kind of claims. If you make any kind of number claims, and especially if you put a time on it, say you know go from this to that in 30 days, Facebook is almost certainly not going to accept your ads. So you're going to have a bigger problem there. The the way that you do it, though, like in a webinar, for example, when you're talking about it, is don't make a promise. Say, this is how I went from X to Y in 30 days. That's clever. Because you're telling the truth. As long as you're telling the truth or this is how my student Kathy went from this to that. And so the way we do it is instead of making a promise to them, we talk about the results that our existing customers have gotten if you have existing customers. And, mm. you know, if, if you are someone who is launching a course, for example, for the first time, but you are a service provider, you can talk about this is the same method that I use with my one-on-one clients who got these results. And you, you truthfully, you know, represent that and you should have a disclaimer on your website generally, but then also in your course agreement that says, hey, these testimonials are accurate, but there are no guarantees that you're going to get these same results. And, and in fact, mm-hmm. your, your, your course agreement should have that language in there that you are not guaranteeing them anything. You are going to teach them something and it's, it's up to them and they take a hundred percent responsibility for their own results. Because look, even if like, no matter how good our course is, the reality is that, first of all, it's going to depend on the customers taking action and taking the right action and using some of their own discretion to get results. So that's number one, and we can't control that. But second of all, and, and I did a podcast episode about this recently, like, um, and this is something I learned from playing poker is sometimes you can do everything right and it still doesn't get you the results. And and it's a fact. Yeah. I mean, maybe your students actually do follow your your advice to a T, but for some reason it just didn't work for them. And that's a reality that everybody needs to face and needs to accept. Of course, yeah. And how about then how about actual guarantees? So, you know, like you have 14 days to complete module one, and if you're not seeing results, you'll get a refund. Is there anything that people need to watch out for? 
around that. Well, yeah, and and that's that's so why I think of those as a refund policy, yeah. not not a guarantee. But yeah, right. You you need to whatever refund policy you're going to choose, you need to lay it out and you need to be specific about it. And what that means is, for example, if you have a no refunds policy, you should be very clear. Say we have no refunds. If you have a, in my case, like I did that first course, a 30 minute, 30 day, no questions asked money back guarantee, mm. you lay that out or, and both of those are pretty easy. And I'll tell you, they're pretty easy. But for example, in, in the European union, there are some laws that potentially, even if I had a no refund policy, some people might have a right to get a refund. So, oh wow, yeah, <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> it's weird and wacky. Um, but it's a reality. I haven't ever had it come up, but it's something that's out there. The, the tricky thing is if you have one of those show your work refund policies and you can do them a couple of ways. Yeah. One is just show me that you did the work and then tell me you don't like the results and I'll give you a refund. And the other is mm-hmm. show me you've done the work and didn't get results and I'll give you a refund. I kind of think either one of them is fine. But the important thing is be very specific. Be specific yeah. about what they have to have done. Be specific about what they have to submit. Be specific about how you're going to judge whether they did it. So if it's results-based, what is the test? And just be crystal clear. In, in every written agreement, what I like to say is, is your goal is to make it so that there really is no gray area. You can't have right. a dispute because you can just go back and look at the written agreement because lawyers thrive in gray areas. That's where we get involved and, and people cause all kinds of trouble and, and, you know, can just make a mess of things. So be clear, over explain things. And if you do that, then you just abide by it. But what I'll tell you is candidly, and Steph, I don't know if you've had to deal with this, but sometimes you just decide to give people a refund, even though they're not entitled to it, because quite honestly, you just don't want to deal with it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had it with any of my courses, but I used to sell a really cheap template. And sometimes I just thought, you know what, for an $18 product, I, this is not even worth it. <laughs> it's yeah. not worth the time. Right. Exactly. And at some point, it's just like, what I like to tell people is it's not worth your energy to, yeah. you know, to spend fighting this stuff. And, and luckily now I have a team who does my customer support and all that stuff. So I wouldn't even see that hopefully at the beginning. But at some point yeah. I would tell them, look, I don't want you guys, you know, to deal with it forever. And again, if it's a thousand dollar product and it, it's different than if it's an $18 product, <laughs> but we got to draw the line somewhere and, and be specific and kind of, you know, at some point it's a business decision more than it's a legal one. Yeah, that's cool. Are there any kinds of promises or statements or anything that someone should avoid making when they're selling a course or a membership? So, you know, like promising lifetime updates to the course or yeah, that kind of thing. Is there anything they should avoid saying? Well, so so lifetime access is one of those things you need to be specific um, because a lot right. of people talk about that. You get lifetime access and they put that on their sales page. They say that in their webinar or whatever their launch vehicle is, but then they don't ever define what that means. And again, this is where your agreement, your course agreement comes in. And this really isn't, if you think about it, a big issue in a membership, unless you're selling a lifetime access to a membership. But what you generally want to do, especially like with a course there, is you simply define what that means. And normally what that means is that you will have access to it as long as it is available. And I will give you at least 
so many days notice if I intend to take the course down so that you'll be able to download all of the content. So that's kind of how you word that. Now, a membership is slightly different, right? If you're going to sell a founding membership at the beginning, which is lifetime access, you, you probably need to set that this is you're going to give them at least X months you know, from the time they sign up. Because that's kind of different because in a membership, what you're getting is the ongoing content. And so you need to put limits just so that people do that. And like, that was a thing that I saw in a lot of people's uh, that weren't defining early on was like, what about a Facebook group? They would say you get lifetime (laughs) access to this Facebook group. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And I would say, I think, or, or you you get lifetime access to Q&As in this Facebook group. And so I like to say, like, if you're going to say they're going to get Q&As in a Facebook group, define it as you will get at least, I don't care what you want to say, 12 or however many you want to set and just realize then that that kind of says, if you're doing it monthly and you say you will get at least 12 Q&A sessions with me. From the day you stop selling the course, you have to keep going live in that group for a year. So you just need to think about the commitment you're making and be specific in the agreement you have for your course, for your membership, et cetera. Yeah. Wow. That's lifetime access to the Facebook group that like you can't even guarantee that Facebook's going to be around forever. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) Yeah. And obviously you can't. And it was more an issue of like people would just talk about like people who are doing like, you know, lifetime access to a Facebook group for support. And we're talking about getting, you know, they, they would get, um, you know, they, they would just say, you're going to get access to these lives every single week or every single month. And I would tell people say, no, 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 don't say that. So you're going to get at least this many. Um, yeah. and you know, you'll continue to get them as long as I, I provide them. And that's just the way that you deal with it. That's cool. So. I'm very, I'm very glad you covered that. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bobby. So at the end of every episode, I have a couple of questions that I ask all of my guests. And the very first question is, what advice would you give to your pre-business self? (laughs) To my pre-business self? Well, does it have to be me or can it be a generic pre-business person? To you. (laughs) To me. So, I I mean, my advice would have been to spend more time understanding my people. And I think that's good general Mm -hmm. advice. I think a lot of people rush over the most important piece. And the most important piece really is taking the time to find and truly understand your potential customers. Because that, like when I hear anybody who's failing and, and, and my early struggles with messaging, with selling, ultimately it comes down to you don't understand your people well enough. And so you can't speak to them in a way that like really kind of, you know, communicates with them and, and hits home. So I would say no matter what, Take the time to understand your people. I agree with that. It's it's like the classic example that James Wedmore uses where he says, you know, like we're marketing the cure to dehydration, but your audience doesn't realize that they have dehydration. <laughs> They're just walking around with a headache. <laughs> yeah. Well, And again, we could, we could use all of these like famous quotes. Like I think it was supposedly Abraham Lincoln said, like if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first six sharpening my ax. It, it's that same concept. Um, like if I had... Like if I had 30 days to like, you know, start from scratch, try to sell something, I would spend the first 20 days trying to understand my people candidly, because that really is it. That's where you can come up with the solution that is perfect for them, come up with the messaging that is perfect, understand how to speak to them. And and like I said, 
I would say that 90% of entrepreneurs who struggle at any phase, whether it's, it's with getting people to sign up for their list, uh, getting traction for their content, getting people to like open engage with emails, getting people to buy all of that. It comes down to messaging, which comes down to understanding your people. Yeah, that's so true. All right. So normally the next question would be, what has been your biggest oops moment? But I kind of feel like you might have covered that at the start <laughs> with your $25,000 course that didn't sell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That, that would be it. What What's your second biggest oops moment? My second biggest oops moment. Um, I would say it was... Um, uh, so after I, f- I started to get traction, um, I, uh, so I had kind of, I rose to fame during the GDPR mess back <laughs> in 2018 and just a bunch of things were happening and, and it was kind of perfect timing for me. And so like my May, uh, of 2018 was a very big month. It was my first successful launch. It was all this. I made $70,000 that month. And I don't wow. want to say I was spending like it was going out of style, but I was like, Oh, I can just spend a bunch of money on this software and that. And I didn't manage my money. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, I would say that has been like, for me, one of the persistent things is that, you know, in the business we're in, we're going to have booms and we're going to have busts regardless yeah. of whether you're in a launch mentality and you need to be careful. And, and I was not careful about managing my money. Um, and, and so I've had that happen a few different times. Um, and so that's something I'm always careful about now. I think it's one of those things, though, you have to learn the lesson by earning that money, yep. losing that money, and then being like, okay, so what did I do wrong? And what am I never going to do again next time I have money in the bank? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think you're right. But I think a lot of people don't learn the lesson. And I've seen so yeah. many entrepreneurs, like I know entrepreneurs who've gotten into tax debt, gotten that paid mm-hmm. off, and then gotten into tax debt again. And I'm talking oh. like major tax debt, like literally didn't pay any taxes during the year and had like, you know, a high five figure type of tax debt. And <laughs> I don't know about you, like, I don't know how it is in Australia, but I never want the IRS here in the United States coming after me, uh, much less for that kind of thing. But I think a lot of people, because look, let's be honest, dealing with the money is kind of like dealing with the legal stuff. It's not fun, but we need no, to do it. But it seems to be the thing that we, it's one of those things we procrastinate and instead we spend the time, you know, writing Instagram posts <laughs> and building our email lists rather than actually getting that stuff in order. So yep. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yep. All right, Bobby, what has been your biggest growth moment? Uh, my biggest growth moment, I would say is actually happening now. Um, so oh. I was, because until November of last year, so November of 2019, I was still basically a solopreneur. I, yeah. in 2018, I, I shot up, I had a, a, a quarter of a million dollar year in 2018 from basically nothing. And that was really yeah. in a matter of like nine months that I got there last year. I was running at that. Plus still, I had some law firm stuff still happening last year and I was still doing it as, as myself. And I was trying to get through blocks. And that meant I was doing a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. I was answering mm-hmm. customer support. I was like literally my first line customer support person. And I'm talking like, Hey, I can't get into this membership. Can you resend my credentials? Like that kind of stuff. I was doing, I feel you there. (laughs) So I was doing all of that on top of everything else. 
And so the big growth moment that's happening now is I really am getting to the point that I am not in the weeds of my business. Like as we're recording this last week, I went on vacation with my family to the Bahamas, did not take my computer. I took my phone, but I had it on, I had it on airplane mode the entire time. So I could only ever look at stuff while I was in my room. And all I did was like get onto our team management app called teamwork and get in there and just, you know, check in. But that was it. And I let my team, I let my team monitor things. And here's the thing, you know, it was scary because I was like, Oh my God. Oh, last week was the, I think it was the best revenue week we've had this year. So I don't need (laughs) to be here. I mean, I don't need to be doing those things, but it's a hard thing for a lot of us to let go. And so that's kind of my growth. I mean, this year is my year of going to really just being the visionary where I'm, I'm, you know, the face of the brand, I'm, I'm coming on, I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm doing my Facebook lives, I'm doing all of that stuff and I'm doing high level strategy and everything else I'm letting my team handle. That's so funny that last week was your biggest revenue week nope. and you weren't even there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes we get in the way though, don't we? We just need to actually step away and let other people deal with it rather than trying to put our fingers in the pie and break things. Yeah. Well, and also my team. So I, I have, and this is the other thing. Like I said, I am a fire ready aim kind of guy. So I am zero to a hundred right away. And so I I had nobody until like November. And now like I literally authorized them. They ran a promotion without me that it was their brainchild. They called it the get back at Bobby sale. They did all (laughs) of that because I gave them that permission. And, you know, it was, I mean, letting someone do that in your business can be scary. Yeah, for sure. But I'm all in now. Oh, that's so exciting. All right. Last question. Who or what inspires you? What I would say is my customers and my peers are what inspire me. And, and that's one of the things. One of the things I tell people is in this business, you better love the people you serve and love your peers because otherwise you're not going to show up. And so, you know, maybe it's cheesy, maybe it's whatever, but I'm kind of a workaholic on top of everything else, because honestly, I feel like I'm getting up and playing with friends most days. That's kind of what I feel like (laughs) I'm doing, which is a great place to be. Like I have to be careful because I sometimes forget the impact it has on my, my family, my wife and my daughter, because literally I could sit in my office from, you know, the beginning of the day until like, you know, 10 at night and not feel drained because I truly love what I'm doing. And that is because I love the people I'm serving. And like, I will see my customers, like, you know, I will be scrolling Facebook and I will see something that they did. And I played some small part by helping them get their legal protection in place. And like, literally I've had it happen where I almost tear up seeing it. And you know, it's, it's weird. It's (laughs) cheesy, but I tell people, if you can find that level of connection with the people you serve and with your peers, business is easy. And so, you know, I'm lucky to have found that. And, and you know, I am a big proponent of it. And I hope your listeners can, can find that same level of inspiration from the people they serve. Oh, I love that. That's, oh, that, that feels so, that's such a nice thought, actually. That's so nice. Bobby, you've been so incredibly helpful and you've taught me a lot and I'm sure you've taught our listeners a lot 
Where can people find out more about you, your podcast, your templates, everything? So uh, luckily I did a rebrand. So you can just find me as, as Bobby Clink most places. So bobbyclink.com. On Facebook, yep. you can search Bobby Clink and it's, it's the page is there. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Bobby Clink. The, the podcast is called the Certified Badass Online Marketing Podcast. It's kind of a joke because it, it's a joke and cheeky. <laughs> it's a long name, <laughs> yeah. but it's a joke and it's cheeky because I basically say that being a badass is about doing the basics right. It's not about anything fancy. Yeah. It's not anything like that. And so that's kind of a, a cheeky thing that that my uh, team and I came up with, but so that's the podcast. Um, and you know, you can just go to my website. I've got freebies. I got all kinds of stuff that you can find over there. And, and if they need templates, I can find them there too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bobby. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And, and, you know, I, I look forward to, to staying connected. And, you know, if, if your listeners have any questions, reach out, I am very reachable and I would love to help you. Amazing. Yeah, that's one thing I've actually noticed about you in all of Amy Porterfield's Facebook groups. <laughs> You're one of those people that's like always so happy to answer questions. And like that, obviously, that shows in your business growth and everything. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Bobby. Thank you. It has been my pleasure.